What are we looking at here is a film review podcast. There will be significant spoilers in every episode, so if you haven't seen the movies I'm discussing, please do pause here and go see them before continuing. I talk about all kinds of films and all kinds of topics, so some content may not appeal to you. You can check out the content warnings in the show notes and decide if this episode is right for you. What are we looking at here? Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today we're going to look at love and how it's not always about romance and candy and flowers. Movies and television shows are often about romantic relationships. Even when the story isn't about relationships at all, the main character's romance can become so much a part of it that it's more the focus than the actual plot. But sometimes the ways a romance is portrayed are unexpected, and of course there are so, so many examples in stories of love that's not the romantic kind at all. Today we'll be looking at some of those. We'll start with a couple of romances. First, we have the BBC's 2007 Sense and Sensibility, then the relationship between Marianne and Colonel Brandon. The Colonel clearly loves Marianne, and she's completely aware of it, but she doesn't want, at first, what Colonel Brandon is offering. So she chooses John Willoughby instead. She sees the Colonel as a friend, and when he learns that she's chosen Willoughby instead of himself, he accepts this with total grace, and wishes her well, and remains her steadfast friend. But it isn't just that she's chosen someone else and the Colonel is being decent about it. He has reason to hate Willoughby. Willoughby is the man who has left Colonel Brandon's young ward pregnant and alone, and who has no intention of claiming or caring for the child. Colonel Brandon's love for Marianne prompts him to want what's best for her, even though he could easily ruin Willoughby's reputation by revealing the truth about him. He wants Marianne to be happy, and she won't be happy if her lover is rendered penniless and friendless. Colonel Brandon leaves Willoughby in peace rather than acting on his perfectly justified anger. He is no doubt watching Willoughby like a hawk, ready to act if Willoughby comes up undeserving. But until then, his love for Marianne outweighs his own wishes. Colonel Brandon's love for Marianne is most evident in the actions he doesn't take, in the things he doesn't say, and in the way he lets her go. We see the same quiet selflessness in 1995's French Kiss. Kate and Luke only become friends in order to recapture her fiancé Charlie's heart. Luke poses as Kate's boyfriend so that Charlie will become jealous and leave his new mistress. Luke may think that such a mission should be abandoned and that Charlie and his mistress should be left on their own, but he decides to help Kate anyway. And when Charlie does indeed decide to come back to Kate, Luke expresses happiness for her and doesn't interfere by telling her he has feelings for her himself. 
Kate, on the other hand, has come to a different conclusion than the one she initially tells Luke about. She decides she doesn't want Charlie back, and that she'll leave him and his mistress alone in France. She also wants to help Luke out of a jam. He's stolen a necklace that he's hoping to sell to buy a vineyard, but the policeman who's tracking down the necklace is a friend of Luke's, and he doesn't want to have to arrest his friend. Kate chooses to have her life savings wired to the jewelry store where Luke wants to sell the necklace. She turns the necklace over to the police, no one is arrested, and Luke gets enough money to buy the vineyard. He doesn't learn until after she's gone that his plan had gone awry, that she had kept him out of trouble, and that she had freely given him all of her savings. She doesn't think she'll ever see him again. She doesn't know he loves her, too. But she loves him so much that she gives him her life savings just because. Just to help him reach his dreams. She doesn't even do it out loud. He doesn't know about it until later, and even then it's because Luke's police friend blabbed. Kate loved him enough to help him without even expecting a thank you. Just like Colonel Brandon, Kate's love is most evident in the things she doesn't say, and the way she lets him go. There are so many kinds of love, though. These two examples were of romantic love, but a lot of movies give us characters who sacrifice even their lives out of the love they feel for children, for family, then for humanity in general. Let's look, for instance, at Inside Out from 2015, wherein a girl's emotions are going through a difficult growth process. Riley's Joy, who's the ringleader of the little band of emotions, wants nothing more than to make Riley happy. For Riley to experience joy as often as possible, and to have as many happy memories as possible. But Joy doesn't really understand the complexity of human emotions, and the shifting nature of her own presence in Riley's head. Enter Bing Bong, who was Riley's imaginary friend when she was really little. Joy and Bing Bong find themselves in the part of Riley's head where memories go to die, and they frantically climb aboard some discarded toys to try to ride out of this mental trash can. They keep trying and falling back, because they're just too heavy to fly out with both of them on the toy. So Bing Bong lets himself slip off the back of the toy, allowing Joy to escape, and therefore for Riley to continue to have Joy, but without her memory of her imaginary friend. He sacrifices himself, and even the memory of himself, for Riley's benefit. And because he's sacrificed even the memory of himself, Riley won't ever know. And as he's sitting there in the mental trash can, knowing he's basically erased, he's happy, because he loves Riley that much. He's not the only character who loves a child enough to die for them. Buffy Summers, the vampire slayer, dies more than once over the course of the late 90s TV series, but her sacrifice in season 5 is one from which neither she nor the audience thought she would ever return. In fact, only TV magic brings her back, and the difficulty of it becomes the focus of the whole next season. She doesn't even intend to sacrifice herself. She knows she might be the only one strong enough to protect her sister Dawn. So she's orchestrated what she hopes is a solid enough plan to defeat the bad guy and save Dawn, and she gets kind of grouchy about it, 
offering violence to any of the group if they fail to put themselves between dawn and harm. She's not being cruel, though. She's only expecting of them what she expects of herself. She wants to survive the peril, especially since without her the others might not be able to overpower the threat. But she's willing to die for her sister, a sister who isn't even really her sister. Dawn's a construct, a being created only a few months ago. Buffy only remembers her because fake memories were implanted in her head. Still, it's her sister, in her heart, in her life now. She's her sister. And when Buffy realizes that this means either of their blood can stop the bad guy, she doesn't hesitate. She turns and runs into the peril, without looking back, without regret or sadness. She runs into the peril gladly, because she loves Dawn too much to live a life without her. And let's not forget Dahlia, the heroic mother in 2005's Dark Water. She and her little daughter Cecilia move into an apartment after Dahlia's divorce from Cecilia's father Kyle. The divorce is a bit cranky, and Dahlia's juggling what's best for her daughter with what Kyle thinks is best. This makes the paranormal stuff that starts happening all the more difficult to deal with, especially when it turns out the paranormal stuff is caused by the ghost of a little girl Natasha, who had died in the building and whose body had not been found. For some reason, Natasha is angry about having died and been forgotten. And she targets Cecilia as competition for Dahlia's affection. To save Cecilia, Dahlia agrees to stay with Natasha, to die, so that Cecilia can live. Dahlia sacrifices her life and her afterlife to save her daughter, and to comfort the spirit of another little girl who needed her. Cecilia is able to see her mother's spirit and to interact with it to some extent, but since she's moving out of the building where her mother is now trapped with Natasha, she and Dahlia have lost each other as effectively as if there were no afterlife at all. Dahlia gives up every single part of her existence for Cecilia, and pretty much no one will ever fully know or appreciate that. There are also those characters who sacrifice themselves for the common good. Stan, in 1997's disaster film Volcano, is a city worker who spends most of the movie in conflict with the main character, Mike Rourke, who thinks the risk of a volcanic eruption warrants the trains to be halted. Stan doesn't think a volcanic eruption in L.A. is very likely, and doesn't like the incredible headache it would be to stop the trains and divert people to buses. When they lose contact with one of the trains after an earthquake, Stan and a group of colleagues go into the tunnels and find the disabled train. Everyone on board has been overcome by the intense heat of a creeping flow of lava. Stan sees the lava approaching, and since it isn't very likely that a volcano would erupt in L.A., and since very few of us would expect to see lava, it would be reasonable for him to stare in disbelief and to wonder what to do. He has been the naysayer in this story, after all. But Stan wastes no time wondering how Lava got there. He orders his colleagues to get the unconscious passengers off the train, and goes to the front of the train to rescue the conductor, the conductor who's only on that train because Stan thought the trains should keep running. The conductor's unconscious, too, but he is alive. So Stan hoists the man onto his shoulders and carries him back through the length of the train. 
The lava under the train is so hot that the sides of the train are melting. Stan's shoes are melting to the floor, and ropes of molten metal are sliding down the walls around him. He's struggling to carry a man who's nearly his own size, in heat so oppressive that he's close to passing out. When he gets to the end of the train where his colleagues are waiting, he realizes that the lava has come out past the end of the train, and that it's now too wide for him to jump across. Much like Bing Bong, Stan jumps as far as he can, into the lava, and tosses the conductor the rest of the way. He saves the conductor's life at the cost of his own. Is this scene believable? Gads, I hope not. But it's not about the believability. It's about the sacrifice. The conductor is in danger because Stan's decision put him in danger. Stan owes him this trade, and he makes it willingly. What if you have no reason to believe your death will save anyone? What if a Terminator just shows up in your house, showing you a robot arm as though that explains everything? and tells you that your future actions will destroy the earth as you know it. Why in the name of anything would you believe that? Of course, in 1991's Terminator 2, the Terminator and Sarah Connor have a little bit more than just a robot arm to show as evidence, and Miles Dyson does have a little bit of a reason to believe them. Still, he sacrifices his own life to change a future he cannot see. No one but Sarah and Miles' wife and kid will ever know why he did what he did. And he doesn't even know for sure that his death will change things enough. He acts completely on faith for a world of people who will never know he saved them. We've looked at several examples of love, romantic and otherwise, where with the exception of Buffy and Dahlia, the word love isn't even uttered. Yet these examples are of the most selfless kind of love. Some of the heroes get to live, but most of them don't. Most of them make the ultimate sacrifice, so that someone else doesn't have to. Our final look, though, is a special circumstance. It's not about someone dying for the other person. It's not about saving humanity, or even a family member or friend. There aren't any children in danger, and none of the bad things happening are anyone's fault or responsibility. Our final look is about 2018's Alpha, and it's a journey-type movie about a young man from the thousands of years ago who gets separated from the others in his tribe during a hunt. He befriends a wolf who's also got some injuries to nurse, and they hunker down in a cave together. The young man has to get back to his little village, they won't be looking for him because they think he's dead. He needs to get back to them before winter hits because winter in the long ago was even deadlier than it is in modern times. He and the wolf stick together, walking together and defending one another from predators and feeding each other as best they can. He and the wolf stick together. By the end, they're beyond weary. The winter has hit them and the wind and snow are howling through their bones and they're hungry, starving. The young man can't even feel his body anymore, and he's staggering so badly that neither he nor we know how he's going to take another step. Home is still far away, and that final sleep beckons like a welcome relief, but somehow he keeps trudging along. And then the wolf collapses, 
It's just too tired and hungry and cold to go on. So the young man picks up the wolf and carries it in his arms the rest of the way to the village. He carries it until he can't anymore, until his own body collapses. He carries the wolf as though he and the wolf are forever connected, a package deal, two parts of the same being. Where one goes, the other goes. If one dies, the other will too. For all of you celebrating Valentine's Day today, and for everyone else too, consider these examples of love that included no candy, no flowers, no dates or gestures, and often no romance. Love is more than flowery words. It speaks through actions, through sacrifice, through the willingness to bond with another. Love is for partners, but it's also for friends, family, children, for humanity. Love isn't about the people we're connected to. It's about allowing ourselves to be connected. At the end of the day, maybe love is about a boy and his dog. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word. If you want to check out my other content, you can visit my website at www.smrcooper.com. I hope you have a good week and that things go your way. And if you get a chance, watch a movie.